The Saint of the Wilderness, also known as Sheffi, by Jess Carr, Chapter 14, Part 1. There comes a time when things must change, Robert, Eliza said one day before the winter of 1871 was hardly over. It would be best if we had our own home now. Eddie likes to frolic, and young and old do not always blend well. You cover great troubles with small ex explanations, dear wife. Not great troubles, Robert. Only a time of trusting and trials. Eddie and I will not always have the shelter of family. It is just as well that we face that now as later. We are not to worry about the future, Eliza. My sweet lord tells me that as plainly as any message he has placed upon my heart, I may not always be able to supply your needs, but by his grace he will place the joy of so doing on the heart of someone else and make them all the richer for it. Two days after Robert's 55th, 51st birthday, he moved Eliza and Eddie into the community of Sugar Run, only a few miles from the Irish settlement. It was a beautifully lush valley of rich land and bold springs inhabited by people long known and loved and previously ministered unto. For the most part, they were simple farmers who tended their crops and meadows with loving labor. They possessed no great herds of livestock, and those they did have responded to individual names spoken with affection. He had preached many times at Eaton's Chapel, a picturesque little wooden church nestled all along the valley, and had been deeply fond of the community and its people for as long as he had known them. Eliza, after a trip with him to Cripple Creek, had made the observation that a great similarity existed between the two valleys. Why, it is so, he agreed, uh, and little Eddie will be happy here. I never knew of much contented children anywhere in my travels than those on, on Cripple Creek. Sugar Run looks like the same kind of delightful place. Their rented home sat near the gristmill on the farm of Francis Farley and was modestly furnished by some of Eliza's personal things plus some of his own furniture that he had stored for years at Cripple Creek. It was an odd-shaped house with the front door and windows out of balance as if the carpenter did not know what he was doing or had partaken of refreshments before he had worked enough to get thirsty. German siding covered the outer walls with curly oak shingles compri comprising the roof. It was set in, a, in an open field and had no trees except numerous fruit trees toward the rear of the house. What an assortment of odds and ends we have, Eliza said good-naturedly, when, after a week, she had not arranged their things in a manner which seemed to suit her. Neighbors filled their pantry, and before long, Robert could wander about the small four rooms and be assured that Eliza had not once again changed everything completely around. It's the bestest house we've ever lived in, Papa, Eddie said 
from the very beginning, the boy could be observed enjoying the simplest of pleasures as he sat by the groaning water wheel of the grist mill, hearing the great, great grating millstones pulverize ton upon ton of grain, or when the new adventure called exploring the home of lizards and crawfish in the brooks and branches that ran close to every side of the modest house. One day he and Eliza and Eddie climbed the field to the rear of the house, and as they surveyed in wonder the patchwork of meadows and mountains stretching as far as they could go, could see, a speck of activity around their own premises could be observed. Eliza, is that a horse at the back of our house? It's a man and a horse and plow. Did you ask him to come? Robert said. No, I believe we are seeing a neighborly kindness. Robert, have you been down on your sheepskin since we moved? When they descended the hill, Forrest Farley, Francis's son, had already turned the first furrow of garden sod. Eddie immediately waded into the fresh dirt and picked up the fat white grubworms that had been unearthed. They had to make Farley stop the horse in order to thank him for his kindness. You're getting your garden out too late as it is, he said, doorly. The old folks say if you plow early, you can still freeze out a lot of the cutting worms and bugs. Makes sense to me. Robert followed the plowman completely around the garden on the next furrow, thanking him profusely at every corner. By the way, Mama sent you a pound of honey, the man said. It's on the front steps. Robert went straightway through the plowed earth toward the front of the house. Summer came, the garden matured, and Eliza and Eddie dined many times on fresh vegetables before Robert planned planned and prolonged trips away from home. He would not be traveling alone this time, for a new experiment in Christian outreach was being tried with which he was in accord. At the urging of conference officials, preachers of the district had been asked to work in groups of two or three and make home visitations preparatory to the August camp meetings held annually in several locations within the conference jurisdiction. Robert waited at home for the arrival of one Reverend Jordan. The two of them would meet Reverend Maiden in uh, Pulaski County, the starting point for all of them. Reverend Jordan arrived the first week of August. I had not expected you this early, Brother Jordan, Robert said. I'll get my affairs in order as quickly as I can, and we'll leave. He went over a few things with Eliza, demonstrating frustration with the volume of mail. He had two handfuls of letters, first looking at one and then the other. Tell that girl who wants me to pray that she can have the man she wants. Tell her. Tell her I want, uh, tell her I want to wait and mate, meet her friend. I want to know what I might be praying that uh, young man into. Send the money to old Mr. Collins for the uh, bushel of cornmeal. Write my friends at Smith County. 
Sprat's Creek, I'll come in the fall. Tell them all to pray for the success of the camp meetings. Say, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's all now. Everything else will have to wait. It was dark before they reached Pulaski County and met Brother Madison. Uh, they were to stay the night in the spacious Odell home. Robert and Reverend Jordan were informed, and both men confessed to being ready for both bread and uh, bed. The Odell family was large, and Robert sat thinking with some apprehension as to whether the table, as big and laden with uh, cockery as it was, would accommodate them all. There's plenty of room and a whole lot more chicken when we need it, the master of the house said as he was he as his perspiring wife lowered the final plate of chicken and dropped it into her chair. I don't see the dumplings, sister. Have you forgotten the dumplings? Robert said. She had already lowered her head for the blessing of the food, but she raised her eyes with a startled look and told him that she did not often make dumplings. His host asked him to pray that they might get on with the meal. Robert bowed after all of them had. His pause was prolonged and feet started to shuffle. He prayed, O oh Lord, we thank thee for this good man and this good woman and their sweet fine children. We thank thee for this good chicken. But even thou knowest how much better would have been with dumplings. Amen. The next day, all three men began their visitations in the Newburn uh, section of the county. Uh, there was hardly a Methodist family who did not already plan to ha come to the Wabash camp meeting, located only a few miles from the Irish settlement, or to some other camp meeting within the district. Presbyterians, Baptists, and a mixture of others soon let it be known that they too would attend as they had in past years. After a week of hearing this same good news everywhere they went, Robert suggested that they have a special Saturday service of fellowship and dedication, wherein the good Methodist brothers and sisters can come together and pray about what they plan to do to keep the fervor of godliness alive and growing until the camp meetings actually begin. The Saturday service, Robert proposed was arranged at the Thorn Spring Church near the village of Pulaski. What had uh, been planned as a one-day service of prayer and unity of purpose meeting evolved into a spontaneous revival to equal the fervor of any camp meeting, though on a much smaller scale. A nightly service continued on Monday after the successes of Saturday, Saturday night, and the three services on Sunday. Word of these spread rapidly throughout the county and adjoining areas. Praise my sweet Lord, if they keep coming, we'll be needin here, needed here another week, Robert said to his two friends and the church's regular minister, who himself had enlisted two more preachers of his district. What has caused it? Each asked of the other. They are earnestly preparing for the camp meetings, Robert said, and their souls beg of their ears to not to close. If hunger anticipates bread, my brothers, we had best get better organized. 
their host and pastor suggested. Uh, they almost overran us last night. I'm going to ask Brother Bob Sheffy to work at the altar and exhort from the aisles. Also, I want his prayers to open the service. Brother Jordan will preach first tonight, followed by those remaining. I will ask Brother Medicine to lead the singing. Not one half of the assembled crowd that night was able to crowd into the small church, but it was warm, and the pulpit and pews were moved outside so that there would be no separation of the congregation. The penitents were many, some even starting their journeys to the front long before the call had come. The conviction of the penitents was so profound that Robert marveled at having seen it only five or six times during his entire lifetime. The most hardened of known resistors to spiritual conversion now sat at the mourner's bench, unashamedly tear-soaked and submissive. Robert stayed on his knees at the bench until the last of the mourners was either soundly converted or had retreated uh, to face the haunting knowledge that he had been so close and now stood so far away. One of the deacons came to Robert after the service had ended and reported that a woman had watched from behind an apple tree to the south of the churchyard. In fact, the deacon added, the same woman had been seen listening through the open church window on the previous night as well. Who is she? Perhaps she is feeble-minded and fears us, Robert said. I don't know her, but I'll try to find out. The woman did not appear the next evening, but by then her identity had been established. She is the wife of a prominent merchant, and one of our members works on her husband's plantation. Our church treasurer says that the family is very wealthy and owns property down in North Carolina. Robert wiped his tired and perspiring brow, but said nothing. Do you think I ought to go to her and ask her to come and be seated with the congregation? The deacon asked. Yes, but something is amiss. If she desired our fellowship or our sweet Lord's saving grace, she would not tarry behind the trees. We must not be surprised if she comes to poke fun at us. I will watch out for her tomorrow night, then, said the deacon said. After services, the next night, the deacon reported back excitedly. She came, but when I started to approach her, she moved quickly away from me. Robert remembered her in his prayers, then, without really knowing why or what specific thing he might ask of a loving God on her behalf. The following night, he gave instructions that he was to be signaled if the woman appeared, and he would have another of the preachers take over his duties. Before the service began, the woman was spotted, but Robert purposely left her alone until things were well underway. Quietly, he slipped outside the island of light provided by hanging lanterns and pedestal-supported lamps. She stood behind the same tree, though unhidden, for the whiteness of her dress by moonlight outlined her per perfectly. She started to turn as he got near, but he asked her to please wait. My sister, our fellowship would be richly blessed if you would sit among us. Sit among you? 
I don't see a soul who looks like they have retained a shred of their dignity. Why, they have yielded themselves completely. Yes, they have got in a good way, but only because they are confessing their unworthiness, their sin, and they love their Lord so much. I don't care to come and sit. That is, I just heard about the meetings, and I was curious. But you have been with us before, and we did not honor our sweet Lord when you are outside of outside our fellowship. Yes, I've been here before, but I was... I'm just curious, she repeated. Is there anything the sweet Lord has laid on my heart that I may tell you? No, nothing. There is nothing I wish to hear. Will you come back tomorrow night? No. If I hadn't come to you, would you have come back? I will not tell you that, she said. His eyes adjusted to her young, pretty face in the moonlight, and he expected to see her smile in her defeat of him, but she did not. Nothing at all in her face supported the imagery by which he had characterized her. She excused herself then and walked from him. The swish of her dress could be heard long after she disappeared from view. Presently the sound of a galloping horse could be heard traveling southward toward the village. The woman appeared no more, and on Saturday night the meeting closed. After the camp meeting at Wabash was over, the last of August, Robert was free to journey to Smith County at Spritz Creek and assist the pastor there in a two-day service. He rode from Sugar Run joyously, for the successes of the meetings at Wabash still warmed his heart. Only during uh, the war had he personally witnessed an equal fervor but those had been troubled uh, times when the pressures of war might have driven some people to a place of collective worship, but at Wabash the conversions were more spontaneous. Passing through Bland, he learned that an old friend had died in the community of Ceres uh, to the west of the county seat. We can go by that route just as well, Gideon and it would do my heart good to walk with Monroe to his last resting place. The tragedy of his life is yet so near to me, but he won out. Uh, bless Jesus, he won out. I have preached at the Red Oak Church many times, Gideon, and there were times when the hearts of the people were so cold. I'm going to ask the Lord to shake up that place. When he reached Cerise, the funeral was almost over but he took a seat on the back pew as the casket lid was being closed and the minister stood at the feet of the family ready to utter the final prayer of the service. As the preacher followed the coffin out, he motioned Robert to follow him. Brother Sheffy, I didn't see you back there or I'd have asked you to pray, he said. I know how long it took you to deliver the soul of this brother into the keeping of our father. Monroe told me before he died, and he also told me the story that you heard from his own lips years ago. He died a good man, and he would be honored if you would lead his burial procession with me. Robert willingly consented, and the two men walked along the dirt road ahead of the casket. Only a few hundred feet after the procession had started, 
Robert lifted his hand and asked everyone to stop while he knelt beside a deep wagon track and lifted up from its dirt-walled prison a tumble bug that lay helplessly upon its back. He delivered the insect to safety on the opposite bank, but rather than returning to the procession, he sat there remembering the man whose cold corpse they now carried to the cemetery. The bug, the creature of God's creation that he had just rescued, was walled in by its helpless position. Uh, mankind, he thought, was subject to the same imprisonment. Symbolically speaking, at least, uh, it had been so with the dead man. Uh, he had cut his own gro grove and made his own prison walls that few others could see. Brother Bob, we are holding up the procession. A gentle hand touched his shoulder. He stood and walked, and the creaking wheels of the horse-drawn hearse moved the procession forward again. Dost thou art, dost thou art, to dust return, turneth, he repeated to Gideon, when they were on their way to Smith County again. Uh, these words ought to make a man honest, wouldn't you say? Monroe wasn't always honest, but he died honest. Would you like to hear about it, Gideon? Would you like to hear about it, old friend? The animal whinnied. Well, it was like this. I knew Monroe for ten years before I ever got close to him, or before he'd ever let me pray with him, for that matter. I could tell the f first time I met him that he carried a terrible burden on his heart, and one day I told him so. He laughed at me, and it was another seven years before he wrote me to come to his house. That we had something to discuss. I went, but he wouldn't talk in his home. When we went to the barn instead, he didn't speak a word. He cried as if his heart would break, and I gave him his time. There in the straw, he revealed to me that in his youth he had burned down a man's store and his house. Everything in the world uh, the man had, Gideon, he did it for pure meanness. He told me with his own lips that the storekeeper had never even been unkind to him for pure meanness, Gideon. Everything in the world the man and his wife possessed, and they were old, he said, and he did, and had not son or daughter to go to. Oh, yes, I asked him why he didn't go to them when he could stand the burden of guilt no longer, and he said that he had, when a number of years had passed, but that both of the old folks were dead. Even after that first trip, he went over. Uh, he went other times to Mercer County, where he had done the awful deed and stood tear-stained in the ashes of the house and store he had destroyed. In all my tear years, Gideon, I have not met a man so racked with guilt and regret. But he and I and the sweet Lord found peace together, and we, and he was ninety-four when we put him under the ground today. I do not know whether my sweet uh, Lord gave him so much time to remember or so so much time to forget. But he did die in peace. Of that, there is no doubt. 
The next day, Robert stood in the pulpit of the Spretz uh, Creek Church and made it clear that he was in no hurry to begin the service services. Smith County is too dear to me to hurry away from this place, he said. I like to ride here from any direction, for the good handiwork of our God is everywhere. Pray with me that we may preserve it and cherish it until the smallest black ant is safe within our care. I stayed with a dear sweet family in uh, Ch Chohoe uh, last night, but I was not treated so well. My bed linen was not crisp, uh, was not crisp with uh, fresh sunlight, and the good sister did not keep her children clean. I think I am in be better quarters here in your community, and if my hostess tells you that I drew a picture around the knothole in my bedroom door, uh, she tells you no falsehood. I did it. I was lying upon my bed, and I said to myself, Sheffy, what does that knothole look like? And after a minute, it came to me. It was the mouth of a great fish, perhaps like the one Jonah was swallowed by. And I drew the body of a fish around the mouth that was already there. You have been slow to notice that I am wearing a beard since we last worshipped together. It will be a blessing to you to know how I happen to have it. I was riding down East River Mountain last winter and got caught in a hailstorm which cut up my face terribly bad uh, tolerably bad uh, my sweet lord said sheffy if you would grow a beard the wind and hailstones would not hurt your face how many times does our sweet lord tell us what to do to ease our pain and we don't listen hmm. uh, well today i am going to tell you about a man who was told by god but would not listen. Uh, when his sermon was over and the invitation given, no converts came forward. He showed no disappointment and began his final prayer. O oh, loving God, we thank thee for bringing us all together, and may it be so again soon. Now, blessed sister and brother Summers, they are having trouble, and they do not love each other enough. Brother Alls still loves his liquor, Lord, and I want you to turn it sour in his mouth like pig slop and make him spend his money on his dear little girls. Make brother Sid and Amos stop fighting over what their dear father left them. How sad he would be to know that his land, which he had sweated over for so long, now causes brother to hate brother. Make our young brothers and sisters to be pure of heart and character. And finally, Lord, watch over Brother Bernard sitting there, who has never asked me to his house since I've walked over the sweet soil of Smith County. Put it in his heart to let me eat at his table sometime soon and partake of the good honey thou dost so bountifully give us. Well, Brother Bob, I know I can't talk you into moving back to Smith County, but I realize that you want to go and see your brother and your sons. Perhaps they can do what I can't do, his host pastor said as Robert prepared to leave 
at the closing of the last service. I'll come back every time you'll let me, but Eliza thinks the heart of Giles County is the next thing to the Garden of Eden, Robert said. Goodbye, old friend, and may God's light shine upon you as it has for all of our days together. The children await you now, and you'd better hurry if you want uh, if you want their send-off. They will be going home soon. As he climbed upon Gideon's back, all the children rushed toward him, some hanging onto his pants leg or the stirrups on both sides, still others on Gideon's tail. They ran along in front of the animal until finally he had to stop and tell them to move back. Pray for me, children. Our dear Jesus loves the sound of little prayers. <clears throat> the following day, he sat in Marion Law, Law Office of his brother James. He was shocked at how much his brother had aged and told him so. You're no spring chicken yourself, James shot back. Why don't you get a nice little church or two to serve somewhere and stop this ridge running? Uh, why don't you lock your desk and make the front porch a rock of your home? Uh, I guess I'll stick around a while unless my son and uh, law partner uh, decides to retire me for inefficiency. I must admit he knows more about law than I did when I was twice his age. I'm no more ready to retire to green pastures than you, and besides, I'm younger. You don't look it. You're burning your candle at both ends. You're doing what a younger man should be doing. You've served your time as a mountain evangelist. Besides, you misunderstood me. I didn't say quit, just stay in one place and make it a little easier on yourself. If you did, you might find your congregation upgraded a little, and the collection plate likewise. You can't tell me that the work shouldn't pay a decent living. The sweet Lord will take care of us. Have no fear about that. If it be his will, I'll be riding the mountain trails as long as I can crawl upon the back of a horse. Do you honestly believe that even half of the people you serve have the brains to know what you're doing and why? I know it isn't true of most of them, but some must be so illiterate as to make communication near impossible. You ought to get out of your law office more often, James. People in the remotest mountains might not have changed much, but along the byways, they're not like we knew them a few years ago. The coming and passing of the war has made a difference. Anyway, it is through the heart that every man is really reached. My point is, a man has to understand before you can touch him even there. Understand? It would take me a week to tell you how quickly they understand, dear brother. I have never met a man who didn't understand already. No matter how ignorant, even in the most hostile of feuding clans, there is the instinctive knowledge that sin is being committed, that a human being's real duty to love God and his neighbor is being violated. I have not meant to degrade your work or some of your people, but some of the poor wretched devils would surely 
drive off an undertaker. You're still behind the times, James. It was a whole lot like that 20 years ago, but now I ride among clean little villages and well-kept farms as much as I ride among the smelly trappers' cabins and the gully hovels or tenant shacks. Well, it's your life. Live it as you please. If it were me, I'd find a little more comfortable ground, James said. What could be more comfortable than loving my sweet lord's people, both rich and poor? But you know, you know that? But you know what? If I had to make a choice, I'd take the poor. There's something beautiful about a man who hasn't had one single defense left to prevent him his seeing the real meaning of the cross. I have never felt that you or any of my brothers have understood or have been in real sympathy with what I try to do in the Lord's name. Now, Robert, that isn't true. All right, I'll take part of it back. Perhaps Lawrence does, for a doctor and a preacher uh, have something in common. Uh, but the rest of you are just as convinced that my life has been as wasted as if I were a beggar. I can't say that's not partly true, but I must confess that my mind has been changing on it lately. Well, praise God that it has. It's been long enough in coming. Still, I can't say you haven't been wonderful to me. The help you're, you give Lawrence, or gave Lawrence and me, and the good help you have been in assisting and guiding my boys. I have been too hard on you, James. No, you haven't. No harder than I deserve. Come on home with me now, and we'll get a bite to eat. I'm obliged. I want to see the boys and get on to Cripple Creek for a day or so. The old life there has been, has all but passed away. The children are grown now, and I fool myself if I think they need me. The uttered statement, ringing with haunting f uh, finality, gave them both pause, and Robert started to leave. James extended his hand. Goodbye, Robert. Take care of yourself. Goodbye, James. It's a little sad, our shaking hands this way. At our ages, and as the years pass by, we are always conscious that each time we say goodbye could well be the last. Next time, Chapter 14, Part 2.